As we continue in our series on relationships called Relationology, and yes, all of us probably could use a relationship expert every now and again, but um, unfortunately, we don't have that, but we do have each other. We're going to talk about some stuff today. Good to be with you. My name's Jeff, and um, I, I was just thinking, you know, if you, I listened to the, the prize for the, for the, you know, the, the date night deal. I was thinking, you know, you, you want to you create a, a level of embarrassment for your spouse that's high enough for you to win but not so high that you're going to the weekend away by yourself. You know, like you just want it to be just, clearly they're embarrassed, but they want to join you as, as you go away. Um, like I said, we're in a relationology series, and you know, relationships are the source of so much of our own pain and so much of our joy. In fact, it's, you know, relationships is really how we first determine who we are. Our own sense of ourselves comes from the way that our self is reflected back to us in other people to us. And relationships are some of the hardest work that we'll do in our lives. And we want to see our relationships be strong, be whole. We want to see them flourish. But they do suffer. They, they encounter all kinds of difficulties. And there's, a, there's something we have to kind of wrestle with, which is the question of what, it's kind of a negative way to say it, I guess, but what, what, what actually kills relationships? What is it that actually undermines our best hopes? What undoes the things that we hope our relationships would look like more than anything else? And so as we get into today, I, I want to talk about that. But before we do that, would you join me in, in just praying, and then we'll, we'll get into this week, uh, week two of Relationology. Lord Jesus, we come to you as people who are, um, are connected people. If we're not connected, we feel loneliness. And if we are connected, we feel the complications of all of what it means to be in relationships. God, there's a world of hurt in here from relationships of people who are supposed to love and speak words to us of kindness and of generosity. And there's hurt we've caused in this room because of those things. And Lord, today as we gather, we remember the words of Ecclesiastes, which says this, Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. God, we acknowledge that you're in heaven and that you're right here among us as well. And so, God, in honor of that, we just we offer to you a moment of stillness, of quiet, that our words might be few, that you might speak to us. Jesus, we acknowledge that you want to bring healing and hope that you want to bring restoration, and that it would be your work in us. So Lord, we give to you this time. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, we're going to be in the book of James in a little bit. If you need a Bible, or you don't want, like, because you don't want to follow along in the outline, or the screen's distracted, whatever, we want to give to you a Bible that you can borrow. If you don't have one, you can steal it. That's totally okay with us. Um, but just let us know by raising your hand. Someone will pass you out a Bible if you want one. Again, you know, just whatever helps you to kind of learn this, this kind of stuff as we're going along. Well, as we're looking at, we live in a world where um, there are, there's a way in which the world subtly gives us a method for destroying our own relationships. I have family in, that live in San Antonio. My in-laws are from Texas. And um, Generally, when you say the word Texas, someone gives a woo because they're from there. It's always like they have a really disproportionate like, sense of pride about their state. 
Um, like, it's awesome, but they've never, I don't know how, why that is. But anyway, so the, one of the things that people in Texas say all the time is, there it is, is when, when, when you could say anything you want about anybody or to anybody, and, you know, virtually from Texas east, you know, on up in probably to the Carolinas, you, you, can, you can say this one thing, and it just covers over whatever you've said about anybody else or to anybody else. Anybody know? Bless their heart. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. You are the dumbest person I've ever met in my life. Bless your heart. <laughs> I've never seen an uglier person. Oh my gosh, you scare children and you can't go near hospitals because people go into shock when they're around you because you're so ugly. Bless your heart. <laughs> you can just say that. That's how people are able to sort of get away with saying whatever they want, permission to say whatever they want. Now we have our own versions of that out here. Give me some examples of the ones that we have out here that we say, not in Texas, but what do we say here? What, what's that, what? With all due respect, I haven't heard that one. I mean, not a long, no one said that in the past services. With all due respect, you are an idiot. I mean, just, go, another one. What? I love you, but. Yeah, I, 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 you, that per, you need to come to the date night thing. I just want to let you know right now. Go. <laughs> what else? Just saying. Oh, man. Just saying is the ultimate atonement for what, anything. I mean, you could not just direct it at someone. If you were to say something crazy, you know, I, I just want to step on a kitten. What? I'm just saying. I'm allergic. I don't know. I'm just saying. It's not like a big deal. I'm just set it back off. Okay, good. What else? What? Don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> don't take this the wrong way. But every time I see you, I just want to punch you in the face. Just don't want you to take this the wrong way. How? Uh, what's the wrong way to take that? Good. Anything else? I'd hate. I hate to say it. Yeah. There's there's a whole lot resisting me to say this, but I want you to know that before I say this to your face. Uh, yeah. Good. What else? Just kidding. Just kidding is the ultimate backpedal. You know. That's like when you say something, you're like, "This is hilarious." Oh man, it hurt. I was just kidding. I was. I was just kidding when I said. I was just kidding. <laughs> I was. You know. I really think we should break up. Just kidding. I was just just kidding. I was just. Just kidding. Wow. <laughs> oh, just saying. <laughs> Bless your heart. Okay, good. There's, there's a million things that we, we could probably come up with more of them. You know, other one's really pretty good is I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like, hey, I'm not going to lie. Usually I do. <laughs> but about this thing that's horribly painful that I'm about to say to you, I'm just not going to lie. I just, I can no longer lie about this. You are the worst cook I've ever, I mean, this is the worst food I've ever tasted. I'm, I'm not going to lie. That's never resulted in anybody going, you know what, I just, I just appreciate your honesty. Thank you so much. Bless your heart. Um, what we're actually looking for in so many ways, and we all do this, is a way to undermine the power of our words once you realize that they're powerful and they actually have some kind of damage. We kind of go, how do I undo what I just did? And it's a way of actually saying we're looking for a way to say what we want without having to deal with the burden of actually caring about someone else. We want to be able to say whatever we want without having to care, without the burden of having to care about someone. And that is a relationship killer. The book of James says this. Uh, chapter 1, verse 19 says this. Some of you have heard this verse before. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
Now, James is written to a group of people who are persecuted. The church is under, you know, they're under huge duress. There's threats on their life. People are losing property. They're just panicking. There's all kinds of, you know, fear and, you know, everybody, the, the stakes are high. And James is writing about the way that we talk. I mean, if everything else, he talks about, talk, he talks about other things, but he talks about our words. And it's written to a group of people, not just to an individual. It's not written to just a single people individually in the church community. It's written to a whole body. In other words, our whole community, scattered church people in, you know, that are being written to here, what he's saying is our whole body could be torn apart if we don't take our words seriously. Everything that holds us together could be undone if we're unwilling to take our words seriously. There's a huge community emphasis here in this passage, in his letter. For me, now he says, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. For me, I am quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to justify not listening and speaking quickly. <laughs> Finding ways to say, the reason why I wasn't listening to is because I didn't want to hear your words. It's not what it, that's actually what I mean, but I'm actually saying, I don't have time for you, I don't want to listen to you, whatever that might be. Just kidding. Yeah, bless your heart. Um, but the book of Proverbs, James is often compared to the book of Proverbs in the Bible. Proverbs, uh, you know, there's 31. If you ever wanted to just kind of, I don't know where to start. I'm trying to read the Bible. I don't know where to go. If you didn't know what to start, you could generally just get some practical wisdom for your life from the Bible, from Proverbs. You know, there's 31 of them. You can read them all. You know, what, pick, pick a month that has 31 days. Or if you're really ambitious, you could try to jam them into February if you're really crazy. But you get the idea that this is, these are all practical sayings about wisdom. And almost all of them, all 31 chapters, 31 Proverbs, almost all of them have something to say about words. Here's just a couple. They're on your outline. Take a look at these. Sin, this is Proverbs 10, 19. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. I learned this as where words are many, sin is not absent. Um, I remember when, uh, you know, there, I was reading some other translations. One, this is the NLT. It says this. Too much talk leads to sin, so keep your mouth shut. That's like the most in-your-face version of it. There's this, uh, uh, well, maybe you've had the experience, too, where you're, you're realizing as you're talking to someone, like, the more words you're producing are not helping the situation. You know, it's just like, here I go, I'm still talking. There's more words coming out of my mouth. This is not going well. I'm going to say some more and talk faster and not a lot. Oh, my gosh, I'm just getting blessed your heart. I'm just saying, you know, and you're just trying to find your way out of it. This is what this is saying. Where there's more words, you're not helping yourself. And then here's what it says, Proverbs 17. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent, discerning if they hold their tongues. So here's just a little side note. For those of you, you just know, I'm not, I'm not that smart. There's just a lot of people in this room who are smarter than me. If that's you, you know, you don't have to like raise your hand. You just have to know, like, that's me. If you want to appear smart, evidently all you have to do is not say stuff. Just stand there and nod and act like you're thinking about it. Mm. You don't even have to have a clue. I don't know what you're saying. I don't understand. Just that face gives you like you're instantly a smarter guy. If you try to say, don't do that. Just pull a Homer Simpson. Just look at it and blink. <laughs> wow, look how deep he is. He's just thinking. Must be really wise. That's all you need to do. Okay, look. Proverbs 21. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. The, to, the best way to look at that verse is to say it in its opposite. Those who do not watch their words bring about, enter into, create calamity. Our words, our words are super important. 
In fact, if we lose the power of our words, if we lose what really happens in our words, we're actually bringing about pain and suffering in our relationships. And if we're not taking our relationships seriously, then we probably are also not taking our words seriously. Conversely, if you want to take your relationships seriously, all of them, if you want to take them seriously, then maybe we ought to consider the way in which we think about our words. Flip to James chapter 3. We'll spend a little time there. James 3, verse 3, says this. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body. Let's stop right there. So there's this picture being drawn here by James, who's writing to the church, and he says... There's a power wielded by a very small part of the body. Our words, the tongue. And the emphasis thus far isn't on the power of our words directed at anybody else. It's on the power of our words to direct ourselves. In other words, the words that we say are actually influencing the direction and course of our own lives. He hasn't yet begun to talk about how the words affect other people. We know that. We're about to get to that in a little bit. But right now what he's saying is what we produce in our words, from our words, actually directs and guides our hearts, our lives. There's a weight given to words. Words matter. They're incredibly important. In my own house, we talk about about kind of how words work and what they do to us is, as I'm teaching my kids, my oldest is nine, third grader, and we're teaching them about words and we realized at some point it would, it would be really hard for us to list every word that's in the don't say, and this is the gray category, and this is the you're free to use these words sort of things. So what we started doing is just talking about words as if they had different kinds of weight. Just some words are heavier than others. So because I, was, I was having a hard time explaining to my, by then it was like five or six year old. I was like, I don't know how to tell them this. So I said, buddy, I want you to imagine we're playing catch. Would you be more at, would you want to play catch with me if we're throwing ping pong balls to each other? And you'd be like, yeah, that's fine. Or would you rather me try to throw a bowling ball at you, to you? He's like, ping pong balls. I'm like, it's the same with words. Another way to think of it is this. If we say, hey, we're going to have a junior high event. It's going to be awesome. They're going to have a ping pong ball fight. Some of you would go, well, okay, junior high is whatever. It's fun now. I guess the kids are throwing ping pong balls at each other. That's fine. They're going to be at the church. It's going to be so great. You'd be like, that's, that may not be my event, but I, I get why they would do that. And then if I, that's all you'd say. But if I said, hey, guys, we had this cool idea. Hey, junior high parents and junior hires, we're going to have a bowling ball fight. You know, it's going to be so great in the church. It'll be just hilarious. Everybody would go, that's just insane. These are, I mean, there's some kids I'd, sometimes I'd like to throw a bowling ball towards a junior hire. Uh, but, but what we're actually saying here is this. If we treat heavy words as if they're like ping pong balls, we do damage. If we start thinking that the words that we use, because the words matter and the words have weight, if we're unaware of the heaviness or lightness of our words, we can do damage. And they actually steer our life. So James says, it's like a bit in the the mouth of a horse or like a rudder on a ship. Verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Not real neutral about the tongue there. I was looking just as, I, we didn't, I really didn't make sense to throw it into the message, but I was looking at just some, uh, just YouTube like 
how fast does a wildfire, forest fire move? I, I realized I was, you know, I was at a men's retreat last year with Mar the Mission Bay crew, and there was like eight firefighters there. So this is like the firefighter church, I'm realizing. But I'm watching video of like fire just like eating a forest at real time, just watching it move through. And there's something kind of spectacular and scary. It almost looks like it's sort of this living creature taking over stuff. It's amazing. James says, a tongue's like a spark for a wildfire, like a forest fire. That just can rage out of control. And he says that the fire, it's interesting how he says this, and not only is it evil and it's fire, he says it's from hell. Now when, when, they're, when they're, this audience is reading the word hell, it's, in Greek it's the word Gehenna, it's the Greek version of the, of the Hebrew word Gehenom, which is a, it's actually a hill, it's a, it's a place, they could look at it. In the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, this is where uh, people would make sacrifices, human sacrifices, to the, to the god Molech. In the time of Jesus, the time of this writing, this is a little after Jesus, but at the time of this writing, it's the place where people would go to dump their trash and their human waste and then burn it. So when he's saying this, he's saying the tongue is ignited by the fire of the trash heap where we burn human excrement and everything else nobody wants. That's the kind of fire that's produced. And what he's saying is, people are combustible. And the tongue is incendiary. People are combustible and the tongue is incendiary. Is it not true how we know the people closest to us, where the driest tender is on them? We know how to light them up. We know how to get under their skin. We know how to start a fire in them with a little spark because we know exactly where to place our words to get them lit up. I feel like, for me, I'm, I'm often more careful and more cautious with my words with the grocery checkout person at Albertsons than I am with the people closest to me in my life. I think for me, a lot of ways I think about it, I'm, I, I walk the fine line between sarcasm and just plain old being a jerk. In the interest of being funny, I might say some things that, because they have an element of truth where the driest tinder is, it actually could do damage. Is it for you? You're around people in your life where you know the things that could just set them off. There's so times when maybe you feel the temptation or some kind or another to activate that kind of fire within them. The tongue, it turns out, is a pretty wild thing. When we talk about civilization, the advancement of civilization, it is about the ability of people to domesticate wildness, to take things that are untamed, the wilderness, and make it serve us in some way that's more, you know, that makes us, our lives better. The fires, the tongue seems to be a little bit out of control. Look what it says in verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Let me stop right there. He's saying that human progress is moving forward in such a way that some things that appeared formerly to be wild have now been made tame. So he, and he's even sort of saying, there's things that are still wild that we know will eventually be made. We are making and have made the wildness tame. But he says there's something that has escaped the taming of the wilderness. It's this thing right here. Verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. 
It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. There's something that has eluded all of our best efforts as a human society to progress and tame the wilderness. And I think as we've already been talking a little bit, some of us have this experience where we're not necessarily the most confrontational people or we're not going to say to people, you know, something incredibly right in their face offensive. But I think we have to consider also that we're, we're talking about words to people, but also words about people. That we might not start a fire in someone else directly, but we might try to start a fire about them with some other people. Because we have a sense about the wildness and the untameness of that, and we're able in some way or another to just let that stuff go because it's not directed at them, it's about them. But I want you to look at verse 8 again. Look at the subtle implication in this passage. If you have your own Bible, if you want to write it on the outline, whatever it is that you want to do, I would underline beginning of verse 8. Because there's a subtle implication mentioned here. But no human being can tame the tongue. In other words, there is something that's beyond our hands that has to work in us to help us tame this. Because this isn't just merely, hey everybody, work really hard on taming your tongue. That little part of verse 8 is an invitation for someone outside of you Someone who is not human in that sense. I mean, it's, but it's an invitation for God, who is human in Jesus, to actually begin to work in our lives in such a way that our tongue is, is tamed because it's beyond our power. There is an invitation for God to work in our lives. If you were here last week, we said that the foundation of all of our relationships is us with God and God with us. That for us to understand how to live in community with other people, live in relationships that are meaningful and whole and valuable, it has to start first with our relationship with God who wants to work out all of what it looks like to have a healthy and whole relationship through us by transforming us. The tongue can't be tamed by human hands. No human being can do it. So there's an invitation to allow God to do some work in us. Verse 9. With the tongue... We praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine, grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What's actually being expressed in this little chunk of the scripture here is this. It's a desire for people to separate out the things that we say or do that are spiritual, things that we say in church, things that we do, things that, you know, there's a list of things we can't say in church. We know all those things, things we say and do with our church people and our spiritual life. And then the desire is to sort of have another life, this alternate, this non-spiritual life, this material life, in which we separate those things, things like how we drive, how we are with our friends, what we say to the television when we're watching NFL games, what we say when we're on the golf course or whatever else it might be, how we work. And we're looking for a way to separate the God stuff from the rest of us kind of stuff. Spiritual from the unspiritual stuff. And what James is saying here is, we don't get to do that. We are always and forever this commingling of spiritual and physical. And they can't be untangled. So we don't get to say, God, you're awesome, and then I hate this person. Those two things are incompatible. 
And he says, he uses this phrase. He says that in some way or another, when we, cur- we can't use our tongue to curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. If you're here with us last week, we began this series talking about how we were actually made in God's image. Other translations have in God's likeness. Genesis 1.27 says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What's being said here is that the indirect recipient of all the praise and all the cursing that we might do, the words of blessing and honor that we might give, or the words of condemnation and isolation, all, the, the recipient, the indirect recipient always is God. Last night, I had my, my son sat in here, you know, sometimes we let him sit in with us, and he wanted to hear the message and stuff. And so he, everywhere he goes, he takes things to draw with. So he's, he draws a picture of his interpretation of the message. And, you know, he, I'll, I'll show, I don't know if we can show, we'll try and show you this. It's, it's kind of clever. It's also really faint. Can we do this? Can you see that? Mm, no, you can't really see that. They, somebody, they told me to hold it in front of this camera. Can we do that? No? We're not going to do that. It's just, okay. It's a face. <laughs> there we go. Oh, there it is. Okay. Uh, here. So you kind of see this. So he's writing some stuff. It's kind of hard to tell. It's too hard. He says, you know, a couple of things. So he's writing this thing. He hands it to me. He's so proud at the end of the service. We switch back to the other angle. Um, but, <laughs> but after the service, I just, I'd never seen that. Uh, but after the service, he goes, Dad, look what I made for you. It's about, it's about the message. It's about what you were just saying. And he has all these words in here. And, you know, he's like, there's the, you know, this is, he's, he, wrote, he wrote on top, mouth from God. And he's got an exclamation point on there. And. There's going to be someone you're going to curse. Let that go. And, you know, all this stuff. And, and you, know, he's, it's, you know, he's kind of this, he's really into art stuff. Now, there's his creation given to me. And at that moment, I could say to him, there are so many better artists than you. <laughs> you have got, there is just, this is just not good. You, yeah, no offense. Bless your heart. Nice attempt. I'm just saying, I'm not going to lie. It's not that good, right? I could say those things to him, and it would undermine, it, not, it wouldn't just be about his art, it would be about him. James is saying, we don't get to say, I'm here to praise God, people who follow Jesus, and I'm also here to isolate, eliminate, destroy relationships with other people. Those two things are incompatible. That there is an undermining of the very image of God in other people. We take our words not seriously. Human dignity is a God-given thing that we honor or curse with our own words. We started this message talking about how we have sort of a preface or an epilogue for all of our things that we wish we didn't say. You know, the sort of, like we said, bless your heart, just saying, you know, I'm not going to lie, all those kind of things. I think maybe we ought to consider as we move to some, a little bit more practical stuff, is what are, what's like a new preface we could, we could begin to initiate within our own hearts? Maybe not out loud, but at least within our own hearts. And it's this. If every human being is already in God's likeness, then maybe we start every exchange. We know it's going to be a confrontation. We know we're going to run into some, someone or someone's beginning to heat up around us. If only we were to just pause for this moment, it might be enough. But to say this phrase, to begin our response, whether it's in our heart or out loud, because you were created in God's image, that would be the phrase. 
Because you're created in God's image, and so am I, to say it. Now, here's what I would say. Don't taunt someone with that. Like, you know, you know, you're a jerk. Like someone says that to you, you're a jerk. Because you were created in God's image. Like, just don't turn into the weird person like that. Just the exercise is in your mind. Okay, you guys with me? You know, does that make sense? Like, if you want to invoke physical violence, do that. Because you're created in God's image, that's what I'm going to, you know, like, don't, just, you. Take a moment. Because you're created in God's image. Because you're in God's likeness. Because you are the treasured creation that God would have in the world. Then respond. Now, again, if you say that out loud, people are going to think you're mocking them. So don't try it out loud. Some of you are thinking, I'm going to say that to five people. This Don't. Say it in your heart, Okay. Because I think we begin to honor people as created in God's image. We get a sense of how God actually intended our relationships to actually look. Next is this. If you really want your words to be, the words that you actually want to be heard, if you have a desire to be a more listened to person, then you got to, this is, this is going to be the most challenging thing for you. If you want your words to matter, then you have to master the art, as we started with, being quick to listen. If you want to give your words weight, give your listening some attention. Does that make sense? This week, I want you to do this. This is going to be a challenge. I want you to think of three people that you're going to have, you're going to give one minute of undivided attention to. 60 seconds. Now, here's what I, here's what I want you to do. I actually, if you have a pen, I want you to write their name down on your outline in the Bible. I don't care, whatever it is. If they're sitting next to you and you're, you know, like, they're, they're going to be insulted in some way or cut off guard or whatever, then just write their initials or write them backwards or write a code word or whatever it is you need to do. What I want you to do is this. I want you to give someone 60 seconds of undivided attention. Now, here's why that's a challenge. Some of you are like, 60 seconds? That's half a commercial break. I can put it on mute for a second. You know, I'm talking about nothing else going on. I want to give you a sense, too, what this looks like. If you have a watch, a lot of people don't have watches anymore. They just have a phone. I still, uh, somehow I feel naked if I don't have a watch on. But don't stand in front of someone and go, all right, and go. Like, don't, you know. <laughs> you know, trying to wait, and you're grit, gritting your teeth for the last 10 seconds. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah! Yeah, woo! And they're like mid-sentence. I want you to hold it like this. I want you to take your watch off and your best guess of a minute's worth of attention. Turn your phone off so at no time could anybody ever interrupt you during that time. You're giving them a minute, 60 seconds. Now you're beginning to see the stakes. Here's why this matters. Words matter. But if you want to make them really matter, we have to be better listeners in this, in this sense. If I'm walking by you and I go, hey, you're awesome, and keep walking, which is more validating, that or this? Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. What's going on? 60 seconds. Do, 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 do. You know, whatever. Like 60 seconds without looking at the watch. Where I only just, I'm allowed to say, make these sounds. Mm hmm. Hmm. Wow. Maybe not, maybe not even wow. Oh. Ah, oh, cool. Thanks. That's it. That's all you get to say. What feels more validating? The first where I walk by, you're awesome. I'm a parade, I'm a, the awesomeness fairy, whatever, I'm just throwing out awesome. <laughs> or. Or I've got time. Because none of us have a time issue. Time is the same for everybody in the world. What we all have is a priority issue. And when we stop for a moment to say, time is going to continue to move, but you get this right now. You get my time. We validate the human dignity of another person. 
in remarkable ways. And when you do, when you are eventually get around to the speaking part of it, your words have just increased in their weight because you listen. Three people, 60 seconds each. Now, if you're like, I got that. Like, if you're a professional counselor or something like that, it doesn't count. But if you're, I know there's a couple of you in here too, so you don't get paid for this time. If you're really awesome, rotate one of those people out for someone that you have to be around that you don't like necessarily. Like, if you're awesome, and if you're incredibly superstar, amazing, pick all three people that you're not really, you have to be around but you don't like. 60 seconds of undivided attention in which you respond with just the active, I'm here, I'm listening to you kind of sounds. So we acknowledge that people were created in God's image before we begin to even say anything. And find three people this week with whom we can spend 60 seconds of undivided attention. And lastly is this. This is, this is sort of a, again, this is maybe not something you'd say out loud. Maybe it would be. But I would say there are times in this week you're going to encounter a justifiable reason to cut someone down with words. You're going to find a reason to begin to burn them because you know how to. Because, and there you'll be just, no one would ever blame you for that. What I would say is, is it possible for this week to try and do something completely unexpected, bizarre, backwards, in which you speak a blessing, honoring the human dignity of another person with your words, where a curse would have been otherwise acceptable? Everyone would go, you know, that person just did that. Why don't you just go out there and let them have it? I heard a story this week. It just blew me away. We're all in our teachers' meeting on Wednesday, all the different campuses, and, you know, one of the speakers is in there, and he's, he said, you know, so I said this, and he kind of made the mmm sound, and I was like, okay, now you got to share and so he goes, well, you know, he's got family in Kenya. And he goes, we got a call this week that a distant, you know, cousin of mine was murdered. He was just thrown from a building. And we're all like, oh, my gosh. You know, like, what's this? He goes, and what's, what's amazing is my, my, the whole family's rattling. Everybody's, like, trying to figure out how we're going to get this guy, whatever else it is. And he goes, my aunt says, I just want to get us together and pray for this guy who killed my son. Now, she is more than justified in saying, that person took my son's life. I want that person's life as well. There's more than justified, all that kind of stuff. But she says, what I want to do is pray for this guy. Something is broken in him. Let's pray for him. Wow. That's blessing in a time where a curse, where a retribution, where an acting out would have been totally acceptable. Now, we don't have, maybe, I don't know, but my guess is you don't have that same kind of story. But what does it look like when someone disrespects you, minimizes you, makes you feel small, eliminates, powers up, minimizes, whatever it is in your life, attacks you? What does it look like for you to then to say, to say some way or another, I'm justified in attacking them and cursing them, but I'm choosing to bless? And maybe that's an act you do in your own heart. You're driving down the road and someone would dare drive the actual posted speed limit. And we have to actually slow down. And in our heart, we have this wrestling. Maybe there's a moment in which you say, you begin to say, God, I know you love slower people than me. I mean, whatever else it is. But then you pray some kind of blessing upon them. Maybe it's even the people, just not necessarily it's all, you know, you know flowery, Christian-y words. Maybe it's just that someone who, might say something out of line. They might be a wounded soul who says something to you and that you simply respond with 
something other than an attack back at them. Sometimes the greatest blessing we can offer each other is the words, I was wrong. Maybe there's, you know, something, there's people in your life that need that blessing from you. That while there may have been an ongoing attack, conversation, argument where you just say, I was wrong. But whatever, I, you know, for my part, I own it. I was wrong. That may be the blessing this week. When we're talking about words, we're talking about the work that God, remember, this is the thing that steers our lives. One of the things that steers our lives. The seventh chapter of Mark says that it's out of a heart comes all of the desire, the evil desires of our heart or whatever. And so we actually need God to intervene in our lives such that our speech and our actions are modified. This isn't about us just sort of trying really hard and modifying our behavior. Remember, we talked about that no human can tame the tongue. In other words, we need God's work in us. Maybe today's the day in which you take a step closer to Jesus. Maybe you're new here, you're not sure what this is about. You take a step closer to say, I want to walk with you so that the rest of my life actually begins to sort of live out this kind of love and generosity and human dignity you've created me with. Because we're not just talking about behavior modification. We're talking about our whole heart being transformed by Jesus. Would you, would you close your eyes as you pray with me just for a moment? Father, we have been wounded by words. Our identity has been shaped in some ways by the untruths of people who said things that they didn't realize the weight of their own words. God, we also have stories of being shaped by the truths of people who did understand and did know us. God, would those voices rise to the surface? But Lord, more than that, would your own voice in our lives be crystal clear that you love us? That regardless of the words that we've heard or the words that we've cast upon other people, carelessly or otherwise, you love us because we were created in your image. We are your prized possession. Lord Jesus, as we take a moment to respond, with our words united be a prayer in which we acknowledge the human dignity in ourselves that you have given to us, the dignity you have given every other person, and would you hear our words as an acknowledgement of your great love for us. It is in your name that we pray, and it is in your name that we sing. Amen.